outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the whitetail woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this week on the show, we are joined by David Kenyon, my father, to see what we can learn from his experience raising a hunting and fishing fool. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. And today we are continuing our series on parenting and parenting outdoor kids, helping bring our children into the hunting and fishing and outdoor world, helping to foster a love for wildlife and adventure and you know, engaging with animals and fish in wild places, all the good stuff that I know that if you're listening to this show, you have come to love just as much as I have. And as we discussed last week, when Tony and I kind of kicked off this topic, there is, there's no right answer to many of these questions. There's, there's so many shades of gray. There's so many different perspectives. There's so many different ways of going about this, you know, ultimate task of of our lives, really. Um, I think anyone who has become a parent knows and has felt deep in your bones how it changes everything. And that includes hunting. That includes your passion for white-tailed deer, fishing for trout, or whatever it is that you like to do. Um, But it's something we don't talk about a whole lot. We love to talk about rut pinch points and funnels and food plots and scouting and all that good stuff. But then we just kind of assume that, you know, we'll just know what to do when it comes to taking our daughters or sons out in the woods. We'll just figure it out as we go when it comes to teaching them how to fish. Uh, 
why, why don't we explore this in more detail? Why don't we give this as much attention as we do soil amendments and archery technique? Uh, that's the, that's the question I've been asking myself here recently. And that's why we're doing this series. Um, I think it deserves some time, some thought and some different perspectives, some new ideas. Um, so when it comes to experts on this topic, you know, there aren't really any true experts. There's just a whole lot of people with some kind of experience. And when it comes to people that have some kind of experience, I know one person, especially well, that I have a very clear understanding, at least a personal understanding of what they did and the results it led to. And of course, I'm talking about my own dad. Uh, And I know the results because the results are me. You are listening to me. Uh, You have found this podcast. This podcast is here and now and in the world. Uh, And the host you're listening to loves deer and fishing and wildlife and all sorts of crazy things like that. Uh, It's all because of him, this guy, David Kenyon. Uh, He mentored me, taught me, guided me into the outdoors, uh, helped me understand how to engage uh, in the natural world, come to love it, come to appreciate it, become capable within it, uh, and, and, and so many other things. And so my thought today was, who better to kind of dive into this with than someone who I grew up with? doing this very thing and see if I can learn something from him right now in a different kind of way than I did when I was actually a child following him along. But but what can I learn now looking back on it all and kind of explicitly poking holes and, and shining a light on different sides of it and zooming in with a microscope and, and kind of picking apart what worked, what didn't work, what worked for me, what worked for him, what do I remember, what do he, does he remember? And, and how did all of this lead to who I am now? Uh, this is a shared point of context, right? When you listen to other folks talking about hunting and talking about their kids, we don't really know what they're talking about, right? We, we hear the words they're saying, but we can't actually get a, a look at the results of what they're telling you to do. In this case, it's unique. When you hear my dad share his thoughts and ideas and perspectives, you all pretty well know what came from it. So I think this gives us an interesting opportunity to, um, you know, hear what he has to say and then look at me and what I'm doing, whether, you know, you might hear what my dad has to say and they're like, oh, well, that's why Mark's so messed up or that's why Mark's so annoying or that's why Mark is whatever. Or you might say, man, okay, Mark loves hunting and fishing and this thing his dad did, you know, I get it now. I can see how that led to Mark having this love. Maybe I can try something like that too. So I don't know. Maybe we're going to have ideas like that. Maybe we'll have the opposite. I'm not sure where this is going to go, but I do know that my dad, David Kenyon, is someone who approaches things with a lot of thought, with a lot of care, and with a life journey, I think, that gives his advice and his ideas a sense of weight. My dad is someone who has pushed through a lot of things, worked through a lot of things, and and always has been able to find the light in it, has been able to find the lesson in it, the wisdom that can be gained from whatever it might be. And I think that 
makes him a particularly helpful person to listen to when it comes to parenting. Because anyone out there who is a parent knows that it's not always easy. It's not always cut and dry. It's not always fun. (laughs) It's not always a straight and narrow path that you can walk on easily. It is a journey. And my dad's been on that journey for many years now. I'm fortunate he's been guiding me down that path too. And I, uh, I'm appreciative of the fact that he's willing to hop on here and take some tough questions from his son. And I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, let's dive into this second episode of our parenting series with my very own father, David Kenyon. Okay, now with me on the other side of the internet is a special guest, more special, I guess I'm biased here, but more special than most I have on the show. We've got my father, the one and only David Kenyon. Uh, thanks for doing this, Dad. Hey, glad to do it, Mark. Excited to be part of the, the Wired to Hunt team. Yes, I, uh, I've gotten great feedback from people on the past episodes you've joined us. So, um, you know, we've got a, a reputation to live up to now, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've, we've done a few of these over the years. Um, I think we did, I think the first one, if my memory serves me right, it was you, me, and Josh up at the cabin. Mm-hmm. And yep. we talked kind of about the history up there and our hunts and stuff. And then I think we maybe did another show after you killed your buck at the back 40. I think that was the next we one we did. Um, and I, of course, enjoyed those. Um, and I think during one or one or both of those, or at some point, I think I had asked you a little bit about what I was like as a kid and what it was like, you know, raising me a touch. But I think that was like a, a snippet of our conversation. Um, but what I want to do today, if you're willing to do this is to expand on that dramatically, because as you know, we're doing this short series around parenting and parenting kids that, you know, learn to love hunting and fishing and the outdoors and the natural world and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, when I'm sitting here at my desk and thinking through who do I know that has done that? Well, I, I can't think of anyone better than you. But uh, that is because I am, of course, the product of that training and that uh, parenting. But here I am. I love hunting. I love fishing. I love the natural world. And I'm obsessed with all the above. So I would like to raise a kid like me someday. So I suppose you are one of the best people I know to teach me how to do it, Dad. So that's the goal today. Um, Are you up for the challenge? I am, but I sure hope I don't let you and your audience down. (laughs) Here's the next question then. I, I know you very well. And I know that you have, uh, <laughs> you have dad blinders sometimes. Like you, you wear, <laughs> you wear rose colored dad glasses. By that yes. I mean yes. you are you are so yes. biased in your uh, in your appreciation of your son, which I appreciate. But what I'm going to ask you to do here, pops, is to be as objective, you- be as objective, unbiased, and honest as possible. As we talk about right. these things, do you really want me to be brutally honest? Yes. So if you if okay. if there's something you remember from my childhood where I drove you really nuts and I was a real a hole, you should say that. <laughs> okay. You don't need to pretend How many like times. Do I have a quota? Do I have a quota? <laughs> we'll see. I might I might cut you off somewhere down the line. Okay. Um, but that that's what I want to do here. I, I want to 
you know, as a kid with my dad, I can look back on all of our experiences together and, and try to glean insights from the things I experienced as a kid. But now as a dad myself, I'm, you know, and I'm sure you experienced this when, you know, I was a kid. There wasn't like a handbook. There wasn't anyone that gave you like, here are the rules or here's the playbook or here are the step-by-step directions for how to do this right, how to raise a kid, how to introduce yeah. these things to them. Um, so it's kind of, I don't know how many kids and their parents get an opportunity to actually have like a a thorough conversation about this and ask the questions explicitly that maybe that you wonder about, but you don't ever talk about. Um, mm-hmm. so I've got a few of those for you. <laughs> All right. Well, shoot, man. And, and I guess to, to begin it, it might be useful. And I think it'd be interesting for me, even if we were to rewind the clock even further back, let's go back, not just to mm-hmm. when I was a kid, but let's go one generation further back and sure. go back to when you were a kid, which I imagine some of those experiences were what informed you then when you started parenting me, right? Yeah. So do you remember or or what can you remember about the earliest exposure or memory you have of hunting or fishing with your dad? Did, what's that thing that sticks out for you still? Does something come to mind? Yeah. You know, grandpa, my dad, um, he loved the outdoors and it was, you know, he was, uh, kind of a product of the depression product of the second world war. Um, very strong minded, strong, uh, um, uh, powerful personality. And as I think many, particularly men, but you know, uh, in that generation had a challenge, I think really connecting personally with us as kids. So his way of being able to do that was through the outdoors. So the thing I remember that was most memorable was, and, and not that my dad didn't spend time with us. He did. He did lots of different things. But where we really connected, where I really felt that I knew my dad best and really enjoyed being with him and we'd have great conversations, et cetera, was when we were hunting and fishing. And we spent a lot of time doing that, as you know, Mark. We, uh, we Every opportunity we got, we were out in the boat fishing during the spring and the summer. And every opportunity we got to go up to the cabin or go out in the woods to do hunting, we did during the fall and during the winter and early, early fall as well for different uh, kinds of animals. And so for me, I grew up outside and I grew up um, loving and appreciating the outdoors and loving and appreciating the, the relationship that I had with my dad and with my brother um, because of that. So for me, it was very uh, formative in that it, it created and um, I think really helped me grow into the kind of person that I was. And, you know, I'm not, not jumping ahead of a generation yet, but that's why that was so important to me that you had that experience because I had it. And that was a primary way as, as for me, at least to connect with my dad. Do you do you remember do you have like a moment that you can think back on? specifically is there a story that that when i say all right tell me about one of these formative early in your life moments with your dad hunting or fishing that like is there a movie that can still play in your mind of one of these days (laughs) or one of these mornings can you tell me about one of those it's yeah i can it's a little bit challenging choosing just one because honestly i have a, a bunch but let me let me throw out one maybe two that are really 
I think, uh, exemplary of what I'm, what I'm speaking of. So, um, we did very little hunting up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Most of our hunting was down in the Southern, um, uh, and Baldwin and some of those areas in mid Michigan when I was really young, you know, four five, six, seven, eight years old. But, um, one time my dad wanted to go up to the UP. I think he had heard from some of his friends about an area that, uh, you know, was pretty, um, well stocked with big bucks and, and the upper peninsula of Michigan, for those that don't know is especially back then was quite remote big, uh, tall stands of pines and a lot of conifers, uh, very deep, uh, woods that the interesting thing is, cause there's very little agriculture up there, although it's beautiful terrain, not a lot of food for the deer. So, um, when you did find deer, they oftentimes were bigger and, but they're fewer and far between because of that. But anyway, so I remember one time, I don't know exactly how old I was, maybe seven, six, seven years old. Um, my dad, uh, got me up and said, Hey Dave, we're going to go hunting, but it's a long ways away. We've got to take off early in the morning. So he get, got me up at, you know, three in the morning, we're on the road by four. And, uh, we drove up to, um, I don't even know where in the upper peninsula it was, but it was a way beyond the Mackinac bridge. And, uh, the, uh, uh, so like I say, it was probably seven years old. And back then, and you and I have talked about this before, Mark, you know, this is before all the fancy clothing, you know, uh, I remember even seeing a pair of Sorrel boots on the shelves at the local store was a really big deal. You know, they just, we just didn't have the, the quality and the level of technology in terms of outdoor clothing that we have today. So I had, uh, you know, an orange sweatshirt, some uh, pull-on flannel jeans that, you know, I had. Uh, and then Grandma, who was a knitter, you know, knitted up a hat and knit hat and a knit scarf. And that's what I went into the woods with. And uh, uh, it was certainly better than nothing. But I got to tell you, I froze my butt off. In <laughs> so, so we'd get up. We'd get up to our spot up in the UP. It's maybe 7 o'clock because it's a three- or four-hour drive. We, you know, very quietly sneak out to the to the to the woods. And because we hadn't been here, we hadn't set up any blinds or anything. It was kind of a, you know, find the best tree. That's the other thing that's so different uh, about today. You know, nine times out of 10, we just go find a tree someplace and sit next to it. I'd sit on one side. My dad would sit on the other. And that's what we did in this uh, particular situation. And overnight a snowstorm had come in it wasn't snowing down south but it was snowing hard up in the up so these big beautiful snowflakes falling down and um you know all the big uh, uh pine trees were covered with snow and the branches were draping low so as we went into the woods there was probably a foot of snow on the on the ground and it was brutally cold so a cold front had come in it was i don't know what what the temp was but i'm guessing 10 above 15 above for a little kid it was really cold so anyway, so we sneak into the woods and, you know, I'm following along. I've got this, you know, I'm all bundled up in four or five layers with this orange sweatshirt on top and a knit, you know, a knitted cap and a knitted scarf around. And I'm just kind of waddling into the woods behind my dad. And, <laughs> and you know, he'd say, come on, Dave, let's go. You can do it. And he'd just pull me in and I'd follow him in these big, beautiful trees I remember seeing with all that snow all over the branches and hanging down. And uh, it just seemed surreal. It was like being on another planet. It was absolutely beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, absolutely freezing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we so we get out to the to the tree. We find a tree someplace, and uh, really, all I remember is it was very thick, um, beautiful, just gorgeous. Big snowflakes the size of uh, quarters falling, 
And uh, we get to this blind. Again, he sat on one side. I sat on the other. And, and he, uh, he would always bring a blanket. And uh, so after I sat down, he'd take the blanket and kind of wrap me up in that blanket. Right? So all you could see is my head poking up above this, this little cocoon. And um, so we're waiting and waiting. And Grandpa, uh, just like you and I, Mark, has some great conversations when we're going up to hunting and that sort of thing. So did, so did he and I. And, and one of the things, and this is one of the takeaways certainly I took, is, you know, he talked about um, how great it was to be able to go hunting, the kind of experience of hunting, what to look out for, how to, you know, how to see the deer and, and you know, spot the deer out in the woods and, um, you know, what to do if they do, if you do see a deer and how to communicate with him. All those things we talked about all the way up. So by the time we got, you know, to, to the upper peninsula and we started going out of the woods, I was really stoked. I was excited. So we tried back in, he puts me on one side, sits on the other side of this big old, you know, uh, pine tree. And what do you do when you're seven years old and you're walked in a half mile and it's colder than all get out? You fall asleep. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. And you're still and, doing uh, that same yeah. thing today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a couple, couple hours later, as I recall, I woke up and I'm just freezing. My, my toes are cold. My nose is cold. My ears are cold. And, and I'm just, you know, my, my, I'm shaking and I'm shivering and grandpa of course is on the other side of the, the, the blind. And he said, Dick, Dick, be quiet, be quiet. I think I see something. I hear something. I go, oh yeah, right. Sure, dad, I'm freezing and you're going to be here. But, uh, it turns out that that was a false alarm. A little bit later though, um, he says, Dick, Dick, and just touches my shoulder from the back of the tree and around comes a cup of hot chicken soup in a thermos. And it was the best thing ever. It was like dying and going to heaven right? for a little guy. So it was a combination of hot soup, hot cocoa, and Nestle's chocolate bars that kept me going during those hunting trips. Uh-huh. So did we shoot a big deer? No. Did we you know, see a monster come through the woods and was it the best hunt of my, of my life? No. Was it one of those memories that I'll hold dear forever? Um, because it was that special time that I had with my dad. And it was one of those experiences that clinched it for me as to why I love go, uh, going deer hunting. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting example, too, because it's, uh, you know, one of the cliche pieces of advice, and, and probably because there's truth to it, when it comes to introducing your kids to hunting or fishing is to, you know, always make sure it's fun, right? Keep it fun, keep it light. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you just described there was kind of miserable and challenging for a lot of it. And then punctuated by a little moment of, of, you know, heaven. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what do you, uh, what do you think your dad did best? Like if, when you look back and try to understand why did you end up falling in love with this stuff? Uh, kind mm-hmm. of knowing you, your dad's teaching style or just his personality mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is, what do you think mm-hmm. worked as far as how he taught you and Steve to, to engage in these things and, and brought you guys to a point where you loved it and wanted to do it yourselves. What, what did he yeah, do right? Yeah. You know, I think there were a couple of things my dad did really well. One is he was always teaching. He was always talking to us about the woods and about hunting and fishing and all and the different aspects of it. But it was always in a, it was always a teaching mode. It was always, you know, Hey, remember to do this. Remember how to do that. Um, you know, be careful about this. Remember they're walking through the woods and then just um, my dad was really good at building excitement. And Mark, I think you can relate to this, right? I mean, we go into the cabin and there's a dozen outdoor life or, or uh, you know, the latest deer hunting magazine sitting on, on the table. Grandpa would pull it up and talk about an article he just saw. And it just, 
he made it fun. Um, the other thing is that my dad transitioned from being a teacher to being a coach. And I think that's really critical. So, you know, a teacher explains to you what to do, describes what to do and leads you through it. A coach stands back and watches you do it. And then just at the right time and the right place strategically adds a little hint, a little piece of information to help you do a little bit better. And my dad was good at that as we got older. When did that transition start to happen? When do you, do you recall when that shift started to take place? Yeah, somewhere around 45. <laughs> it took him a little while. Huh? I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I'd say it was maybe 12, I would say 14 um, in that time frame, um, you know, because we'd been hunting with him. That, that, that shift from us um, being with him and he was the hunter to us being with him and we were also the hunter because there was a period where we would carry our, our you know, when I was 12, 14 years old, and I had a uh, uh, 22, 14, uh, 410 over and over, under, you know, there were times when we would both sit on either side of the tree and he just kind of, that was kind of his mentoring, right? It was to, to kind of coach us through that. But I'd say sometime after that, we transitioned to that pure coach. And uh, again, like I say, my dad was really good at that. What was your dad not good at? What, what do you recall uh, when you look back <laughs> on those early days when you were hunting and yeah. fishing that did not help you fall in love with these things or yeah. teach you that? Yeah. Was there anything yeah. that almost made you not want to do these things? You know, although my dad was a good teacher and a good coach, he sometimes could be impatient. And, uh, well, there's another thing that I think I need to put on the plus side before I talk about the negative. The other thing my dad was really, really good at is making it, making us excited and making it fun. Okay. So those were on the, on the plus side. But I think on the negative side, I think the patience at times um, was a struggle with him. So my father was was very goal oriented, a perfectionist in what he did. And although he was really good at teaching and coaching, I think he at times was impatient with how, you know, we're 10 year old kids, eight year old kids or whatever. Um, so I'd say that that's something that I try to do with you is to be a lot more patient and um, and allowed you to maybe make your own mistakes. And that's okay because you learn through mistakes. Yeah. What, what, when you look back on those early years, is there, is there a lesson or one single thing? If you had to take one thing that you learned from your dad, that when yeah. you became a dad yourself, you thought would be foundational in how you parented me and Kristen, what would be the yeah. that most important thing? Uh, and I'm sure you probably mentioned an example, maybe. But what what was that? If there was ultimate lesson that you took with you, you know, it's interesting you you bring it up, and this is kind of tied to some of what we just talked about. You know, it's kind of a hard transition for me to make, and I think every parent needs to keep this in mind. Uh, we, we joke about how when you were young and we were walking through the woods before the age of six or seven, let's say, it was somewhere around that, six, seven, maybe eight. I was in front. I was leading. I was kind of giving you perspective and saying, watch out for that log mark, so on and so forth. Somewhere around that transition, something flipped. And it was you in front, you telling me to watch out for the log. <laughs> and and I, 
I think what's really important as a parent is to allow that to happen, is to encourage that transition. Don't be threatened by it. Don't. Uh, and I remember, you know, in a different domain, but I remember when you and I were bass fishing and doing bass fishing tournaments. And there was a there was a point at which you knew more than I did. You were better at it than I was. And it would have been easy to kind of maybe not maybe not resent it, but but, you know, kind of react to that a little bit. And I think it's really important as a parent to to allow your kids to express themselves and be their own persons, even if that means they might be a little bit more knowledgeable or a little bit better at something that you love and do. So it'd be different if I don't really I didn't really care for deer hunting or it'd be different if I didn't really care for bass fishing. But I love both. And you were better than I was. And that's okay, And that's a good thing. But I think that's something important to to recognize and encourage. It's not about. And I think men in particular, we tend to be, or at least the men I know, we tend to be so competitive. And sometimes it's easy to translate that into our relationship with our kids as well. Hmm. So you, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, my early days as a kid. And I know a story you told before is about when I was, you know, little guy and we were going out hunting and I was three or four on the floor of the blind just playing with toys and <laughs> napping and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um so one thing I noticed that I can recall, I think this mirrors what you experienced as a kid, was that you know you you took me, you took me, whenever you were going. It seems like I, I don't honestly mm-hmm. remember mm-hmm. a whole lot of hunting or fishing trips that you went on when I was alive that I wasn't on. Like I, I yes. can, re- I yes. can remember. Like I remember once you went to Canada on a fishing trip without me. I remember that one. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. I can't recall a whole lot other than that. Um, so you were, you were dragging me along and all these things with you. What was that like when I was three or four or five and you had your own passion for the thing, hunting or fishing, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. but now you had this tag along who's slower, Mm -hmm. louder, um, you know, more easily distracted. (laughs) Uh, I, I know what that experience has been like for me as an adult but what was that like for you um and having a three-year-old four-year-old little mark kenyon messing up your hunting and fishing yeah you know no i think that's a really really good point and and i think uh it 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 was It, it it certainly um impacts your success it impacts and i think you're like me, Mark, you, well, you're much more than me in terms of being very goal-oriented and, and everything's formalized and you want to make, you've got a strategy and a plan for how you're going to approach a particular, you know, hunt or whatever. And when something doesn't work out, it doesn't go exactly to plan. It's easy to get upset by that. It's pretty easy to get frustrated by that. I think when you're, again, this, I'll, I'll point back to grandpa for this. Grandpa was just really good. And no matter how, he was very serious, a very serious hunter and a very serious fisherman. But we were always first. So we never, he never compromised that experience of his experience for us. He always prioritized us over that. And I think uh, that's what I tried to do with you. And I think that's what you do with your kids. So it's not about as much as we love the sport. Um, if you really want to, uh, so so I think another thing that's really important about teaching our kids to uh, to love the outdoors and to love, you know, the, the sports that we enjoy that I think a lot of people may not appreciate. It is not just about getting them outdoors and giving them the experience and that sort of thing. It's about building deep relationships that are going to last a lifetime. 
because I really think that's what this is all about. It's not it's not about catching the biggest fish or shooting the biggest deer. It's really about love for for God's creation and nature and you know, building a really strong relationship with the ones you love and doing that. And and I think that's that's what I've learned from my dad. And I think that's what I see you doing with your kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, or maybe you said, I can't remember who, but, you know, if, if we hadn't had hunting and fishing, I don't know what kind of relationship we would have had. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You know, because we're, we're very different in a lot of ways. Yeah, like that. this has been that one thing that has really brought us together on something we have a shared interest in and passion for and vocabulary yes. around, you know? Yep. Yep. You're right. So you brought up something though that that raises a question that I have been, you know, struggling with at times, or, or I guess recognizing in myself a challenge. I guess I've recognized in myself is that I have found myself wanting success when I'm out there with the kids. And as you mentioned, I'm, I'm goal oriented. I'm hard charging. I think there's a lot of other hunters and anglers out there like that too, who yep. want to get the turkey. Yep. I want to shoot the buck. Yep. I want to catch the big yep. fish. And so yep. I have caught myself sometimes out there with Everett or Colton and I want success so badly. And I think like, man, if, if only we could shoot this buck with Everett here, it would be so incredible yeah. and it'd be such a great moment for him. And, and I'm thinking about this for him, but then I'll catch myself. So an example, I, I talked about this last week with Tony. Um, an example of this was this past hunting season. Um, I think I told you the story. There was this opportunity that me and Everett had to go after like a four and a half year old actual mature buck here in Michigan. And I was like, man, we actually have a chance to kill this big old buck uh, with Everett. Like everything's set up perfect. And he was excited about it. And I thought this would just be incredible. Like this is going to be so great. But what happened over the course of these two hunts is that because I was putting this extra pressure on it, because I thought we had a real chance to kill this big old buck, everything mm -hmm. all of a sudden, like everything was ramped up the pressure on every time he talked too loud or every time he moved yep. too much or every time it was just like, I was on a hair trigger because of that. Cause I yep. wanted it so bad for him. But then I realized some point down the road, like he doesn't really care about that. He just right. wants to have a good time. He just wants to be out yes. here with me. Um, and am I, am I hurting his ability to have a good time because I'm trying to put my goals on his mm -hmm. or, or in, like, impose my goals on him so did you ever i guess what i'm trying to get at here is did you ever encounter that did you have how did you deal with that what did you do did you did you ever have a time back in the day when man you want to catch fish so bad because you knew i'd be stoked about it but then you know i, I was just in la la land and and did you push through that did you try to get me to, over the hump or did you say all right no this is going to be a worm collecting mission because that's what mark wants to do like ha, ha, what's your recommendation for dealing with that or <laughs> where's yeah. that balance point well well i think i think it's a um i think I, I think you hit on some really good points and i think one of the maybe guiding principles is to re remember that it's more about the relationship especially with your kids right when you're with your friends when you're with your your favorite hunting buddy then then that's all different. But when you're with your kids or your family, I think it's more about the relationship than it is about the, the trophy. And, and I think keeping things in perspective and, uh, you know, one of the things that I tried to do, and I think it's really important right up front is set your expectations appropriately. You know, think about it ahead of time. Think about the great experience you're going to have. Think about maybe the big buck that's going to walk out in front of you with, when you're with your son, but then remind yourself, that it doesn't matter how big the deer is. It doesn't matter whether you can see a deer. Um, going back to your point, Mark, you know, some of my best hunts with my dad, we never shot a deer. 
that wasn't what I remember. What I remember is the conversations we had or the time, you know, the chicken soup that he passed around the tree to me. That's what I remember. Those are the things that, you know, 10 years from now, uh, from then, gave me the passion for wanting to be outdoors and being with him and, and you know, being able to, to hunt and fish. So those think of it as the seeds that you're planting that are going to grow into the love for the outdoors. And sometimes seeds need watering and sometimes, you know, you need to prune a few of those those, uh, you know, dead branches. And some of those dead branches aren't on the one you're hunting with. They're in you. And so I, I think that's really important. I think that's really key. And it's really hard. I, again, I think not not to be not to say that this isn't a challenge for women as well, but I think it's particularly a challenge for men because we tend to be so competitive. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth so along the same lines another one of my um 
debates that I continue to return to when I'm outside with the boys is is something I'm curious about how you dealt with. I, I see, as we talked about, hunting and fishing and all these outside activities as, as a great opportunity to have fun with the kids, right? You want to keep it fun. You want to make it fun for them. You want to focus on what their experience is, right? All these things you just mentioned. On the flip yep. side, though, I've also seen hunting and fishing in the outdoors as this great arena for developing resilience and toughness and, you know, becoming comfortable discomfort, right? Like these, these experiences where we are pushed beyond what we think is possible. Um, I have found those to be, you know, such, such critical parts of, of what that hunting and fishing experience has been for me. Like if I didn't have that, how would I have developed these characteristics? And so I want Mm -hmm. that for my kids too. I want them to be pushed. I want them to have to deal with the tough stuff and push through it and develop mental toughness and and all that. So how did you go about walking in that line between the two, between keeping it fun, but not making it so cushy, cushy that I never had to deal Mm -hmm. with the tough stuff? Um, Was that something you were thinking about at any point over those years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the ways we did that's something we haven't talked about yet that's kind of related to this. And, and the, 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 the phrase that I would use is feed the habit. Remember that, Mark? Oh, yeah. So feeding the habit is, is when we go to uh, Cabela's or our favorite uh, sporting goods store. You were there with me. We were going through. We were talking about, you know, the, the gear that we want to pick up for our next hunt or the gear we're going to buy for the next tournament we're going to fish. And and very quickly, you started studying and looking at what what the best equipment was. And you would be, you know, teaching me in many cases um, because that became an internal passion for you. So I think I think a couple of things that are really important is, uh, first of all, everybody's different. Every one of your children will be different. So don't try to make a, a uh, you know, square peg into a round hole. There's some kids and I can see this with, you know, with uh, some of our grandkids as well, is that, you know, they they approach it maybe a little bit differently than you would or maybe a little bit different than their sibling. That's okay. Find that way. So, you know, with with our daughter, we took a very different approach. We but we were able to to find her passion or see what her passion was and then help her discover that. It's, I think there's a couple of key points in that. One is I like the, you know, that whole euphemism about feeding the habit. It really gets at make sure they don't have to have the best equipment. They don't have to have the best of everything, but it has to be good enough. It has to be good enough that it encourages the, the experience and enhances the experience. So we didn't go out and buy the $20 Zebco reels and, you know, $10 you know, crappy little pole from Walmart. You know, we spent a little bit of money and got a decent reel and a decent rig, and you were part of that. You were, in many cases, telling us what you wanted, right, because you had done the research. I think the other piece is, is that it's internal. You can never, you can never make somebody love somebody, something. It, it really has to come from them, and your job as a parent is not to force them to love your, your, um, your favorite sport. It's to encourage that passion and love inside first. And I think that's how you do it. You make it fun. You feed the habit. So when you see that spark of interest, that spark of, gee, I really enjoy doing this, then encourage it. You don't have to spend a ton of money. It's not about buying the best. It's about buying or encouraging them and equipping them with equipment that's going to allow them to have a positive experience. Okay. That all makes sense. But I feel like 
I feel like let me let me rephrase my question. Did you ever make me sit it out in the freezing cold blizzard weather when I said I want to go inside? I'm cold. <laughs> this time. is miserable. And you, you were young. Yes. Well, no, no, hear me out though. I want to go inside. I wasn't having fun. But did you have situations like where that where you thought to yourself, all right, I have a choice. Mark says he's cold. Mark says he's not having fun. Uh, but this is a teaching moment. This is an opportunity mm-hmm. for Mark to to grow a little. Mm-hmm. Are there did you, did you ever have that situation where you had to debate with yourself like, okay, do I do we call it quits because this is not type one fun anymore, or were there moments mm-hmm. where like you know what? I know this isn't fun right now, but this is going to make him a man. This is going to help him grow. This is going to help him mm-hmm. learn to deal with the tough shit in life that's coming down the line. Mm-hmm. What Was that something you were explicitly ever thinking about, debating, trying to figure out? Did you do that the right way, do you think, or, or at all? Yes and no. So, yes, we thought about it. Yes, there are times when you wanted to go in, you were uncomfortable, you weren't ready. You, you, now, you're a little bit of a special case in this domain. I mean, you were pretty passionate about it. You were the one that was telling me to stay out in the woods longer in many cases. So this is a little bit different in your case. Um, but but I guess what I'm saying is you kind of have to read your audience is really what I'm saying. And And yes – Reading your audience doesn't mean you you just you know uh, fall at every one of requests, but it also means that you, if you there's a very fine line between um, sticking it out, going the way the whole way, and then or and having experience turn into a negative experience that turns you off and encourages you to go off and take up soccer or something else, right? right? And I think you have to be really careful in how you play that as a parent. Um, so I think, yes, we did and we have. But I also think it's really important. What's most important is not that you force your kids to stick it out and make them tougher and that sort of thing, but that you you understand kind of the psychology behind what the what is going on in the experience and and help them. Because rec- these are life lessons. I think that's the other thing that's really important. This right. isn't about... It partially about, you know, getting outside and hunting and fishing. It, yes, it is. It's about that. But even more so and underlying all that, we're really talking about how you live your life, how you approach failure, how you approach success, how you approach, uh, you know, to your point, Mark, perseverance. That's what you're teaching throughout all this. So think about the lesson that's being learned from their perspective and make sure that you're taking that into context as you uh, you make those decisions. Yeah. So continuing on a similar line of thinking, then what I'm giving you here, dad, is, is all of my uh, existential questions that I'm <laughs> trying to figure out. It's, it's, like you just described, like there's this line, a very fine line between those two things. And it, it seems really hard to be able to pin down where the line is. Yeah, um, yeah. But here's another one that I have thought about a lot, especially yep. with ever, you know, having more and more interest in getting, you know, really seriously involved with hunts and, you know, wanting to be with me when I shoot a deer or shooting (laughs) with his BB gun at an animal or, uh, you know, going out there and helping me track and gut deer. He wants to be in it and do it all. And so I find myself, um, asking and, and thinking a lot about how do I balance this other thing, which is keeping hunting or fishing fun 
like just mm-hmm. fun, enjoying the experience, but mm-hmm. also somehow conveying the seriousness of it. Mm-hmm. How do I how do I keep a thing fun, but also mm-hmm. teach them to respect the animal to to yes. uh, understand the gravity of killing an animal, clubbing mm-hmm. a fish, whatever it might be. Um, mm-hmm. I I could see. I have found myself like battling with like, okay, I, I want to make sure he understands this and he's got to take this serious and yeah. he needs to get this. But then I will catch myself and be like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Am I putting too much on him too soon? And mm-hmm. do I just need to let it be fun right now without diving too deep into that? Because he's too young to understand that. How do you, yeah. how do you think about uh, that? How do you do that? You, you know, so now I'm going to sound like I'm flipping because I think those are really important lessons. Now, maybe, Maybe you're thinking about this as being such an important aspect because I emphasize that and grandpa emphasized it with me. So underlying all, everything I just talked about, all the experiences that we had hunting and fishing was a really strong sense of how do you be safe? How do you be respectful? How do you make sure you're doing the right thing and you're doing you're hunting or you're fishing or whatever the sport is, whatever the activity is, you're doing it with integrity. And that was, I think, an underlying theme in every conversation we had. And that was uh, one of those things that was absolutely um, uh, essential. It was, it was non-negotiable is the word I'm looking for. Um, so we started, we started young with that. And that uh, I think we had maybe not as many conversations about those things as we did, uh, you know, the actual process of hunting. But pretty close. I mean, that was pretty important. You know, I mean, can you recite the, the, the what was it, a tip? What was the little acronym that Grandpa gave you for how do you carry your weapon and use your weapon? TPS. TPS. Okay. Yeah. What T, was that? T stands for trigger. Oh, never put your finger on the uh-huh. trigger until just before you're about to shoot. P stands for mm-hmm. point. Never point your gun at anything unless you're going to shoot it. Always keep it up in the air, down the ground. And S, <laughs> always make sure your gun is on safety. TPS. I think I made my point. <laughs> and that was probably drilled into you when you were probably six years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think you need to do, my opinion is, and everybody's different, so I'm not suggesting that my way is the only way or the best way. But my opinion is that that's, that you do that hand in hand with the, the process of learning how to and loving the sport of hunting. It's just as important and in some ways even more important because these are life lessons. This is not, to me, um, hunting and fishing is as much about teaching life lessons as it is about the sport itself. What do you, what do you think about what we have now in Michigan and in many states now where uh, age requirements have been removed? So, so kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. taking what we're talking about here, how there's so many life lessons, there's, there's all these different important things we're learning as we learn to hunt mm-hmm. or fish or shoot. Um, and, you know, I think kids can be remarkably mature and ready f- to, to understand the gravity of hunting mm-hmm. or fishing to, to some degree um, at mm-hmm. different ages. But, you know, you and I were forced to wait until we were 12 or 14 or whatever it is before we could actually do the thing ourselves because the state regulated it. Um, now yeah. that has been removed in many states because we want to have the opportunity for kids to hunt and fish sooner before they get into video games or competitive sports or whatever and yeah. never have the chance to do it. So now yeah. Yeah, like, you and I have had this conversation, right? Yeah. So so there are a lot of five year old kids, six year old kids, seven year old kids now who are shooting and killing deer 
um, with their dad or their grandpa or a mentor with them. Uh, but they're, they're pulling the trigger on animals at five years old, six years old. Mm -hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Not, you know, we're not necessarily judging other people for their decisions, but what are your (laughs) thoughts on the timing of a kid's exposure to that? Uh, given your experience with me, because I'm trying to make that decision right mm-hmm. now with Ever. Like when, Mm-mm. when like, Ever wants to shoot a deer now, he's like, I want to do it. I'm ready, Dad. Yeah. Um, what would your guidance be to me as I try to decide what that appropriate age will be for him? Yeah, you know, you and I had this uh, conversation a few months ago when you shared this with me. I wasn't, I wasn't aware that many states had lowered or eliminated some of those age requirements. I was shocked, quite honestly. I really struggle with that because I think uh, for a couple of reasons, there are the Mark Kenyans of the world who were very mature and very, um, I would say, responsible at a very young age as they learned how to hunt. Okay, and you had that structure around you and and pounding in your head around safety and that sort of and, you know, respect for the animal and that sort of thing from a very young age. But not everybody has that, and not everybody is mature, um, matures at the same rate. And I'm really concerned about that. That I, I understand why it's being done. I, I totally understand the need to be able to encourage more hunters in the woods, and I applaud that. But I'm really concerned about that um, because I'm afraid there are going to be, you know, not even I'm not even as concerned about there being some terrible accident where somebody gets shot, that sort of thing. But just this generalized sense of, um, uh, oh, I don't know, casualness, 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 I guess is the word, about, uh, you know, carrying a firearm or a bow into the woods. Um, and the impact of that, the potential for an accident, but also, and as you know, Mark, one of the things that Grandpa really pounded in, in my head and your head as well, is you never shoot a running deer. Now, why did he do that? You asking question me that for the question for me? Why did I'm he say deer. not to shoot yes. a running deer? Yeah. Why do you uh, think Grandpa not just said it? He pounded that into our heads. Yeah, because he, his the rule that we learned was that you would only take the most ethical, you know, quick killing shot you could out of respect for the animal, and that a running shot right. would not do that. Right. Exactly. And and again, I, I'm not judging somebody who disagrees. I know there's circumstances where that may not be possible, but to me, uh, my suspicion is that not all parents or not all uh, guardians or, or friends or whatever have that kind of sense. So to me, it seems more dangerous, um, less respectful, and more likely that we're going to have hunters in the woods who um, are more likely to kill deer through a wound, not through a kill shot where they find the deer and you know uh, harvest it. And there'll be more probability for accidents. That's what I'm worried about. Because kids are getting to start hunting from a younger age, I don't know if I, I'm not, I don't know if I follow you. Yes. No, so not, not. I'm not saying in every case. I'm saying that kids mature at different rates, and I'm concerned about younger kids being in the woods. Now, tell me if this is true, Mark. As part of that process, some of the hunter safety requirements have also been dropped. Isn't that true? So, so like in Michigan, you can have. If I recall the latest, the last time I looked into this to bring someone out, you had two years where you could apprentice as a hunter. So mm-hmm. without having mm-hmm. to go through hunter safety, you could buy a hunting mm-hmm. license and hunt 
with a licensed mentor for two years before you had to complete hunter safety. So that would give you the opportunity to have a kid go out at a younger age before they've gone through the whole thing and experience it and, and then, you know, go through the hunter safety thing. Um, but again, they they have to be with a licensed mentor who has gone through hunter safety, Mm -hmm. who has all, who has done those things. So Mm -hmm. to devil's advocate, what you're saying, there could be an eight year old who goes with his dad, who his dad's sitting right next to their, next to him, guides him through everything. He gets this exposure. He gets to experience it. He recognizes that he is into this and is excited about it. Then he goes through the whole hunter safety thing. And then eventually when mm-hmm. he's older, he can go off on his own. Um, so this isn't like we're releasing eight-year-olds into the wild by themselves. Right, um, right. It, yeah, it, and I feel more comfortable with that, I would say. Um, so an apprenticeship kind of approach I'm more comfortable with. So, but, but again, I'm, you know, this is not a, 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 a yay or nay or, or black and white. I'm just a little concerned about it. So, and it's also a degree. So if you're talking eight year olds versus 10 year olds versus 12 year olds, you know, it was 14 when I first got my first license in first year, uh, we were not allowed to hunt younger than that. Um, so I can see both sides of the coin in that remark, regard, Mark. And I do like that apprenticeship kind of uh, mentor approach, but it, uh, you know, you asked and that's my kind of where I stand. Hey, no, I, I did ask, but you didn't answer my question. Um, <laughs> my question would be, what would your guys be to me? Not, not what's your overall opinion on should younger oh, kids be oh, able to go hunting? My oh. question is, so you're asking me what, what should you do with ever in Colton? Yeah, what's your advice to me uh, when I choose uh, when yeah. Everett should be able to shoot his first turkey or deer? Because he can accurately yeah. shoot a BB gun right now, and next year he'll probably be shooting a 410 or something or a 22. And a year or two after that, I'm sure he'll be able to shoot a 270 right. or a, a 350 or whatever. So within a yep. few years, he will be, I'm, I'm pretty darn confident, he will be able to effectively shoot a weapon that would kill a deer or a turkey by the time he's, let's say, eight. Um, if not, probably could do it sooner, but let's just conservatively say um, I'm confident he could do that by then. So if you and I were sitting drinking coffee and I told yep. you, hey, man, Everett could do it, he yep. can pull the trigger and the thing, he's consistently effective, um, he wants to go, he wants to get his first deer, he wants to get his first turkey, what would your father advice be to me about yep the appropriate age or how to come to determine what that appropriate age is for us. Uh, How do you, how would you approach that? So now it's a little bit unfair because I know you and I know your experience and I know how you approach that. Right. So with you, quite honestly, I can speak out of both sides of my mouth. I wouldn't be concerned, but from a legislative perspective or a regulatory perspective, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. All I want is just give, just give me the advice. I think you should do it. That's, that's all I want. But but tell me more. Uh, you you're still not answering my question, Dad. Yeah. What else is no right? <laughs> what do you? What's so, your advice to me about how I think about this? How how I determine that proper yeah. age for Everett? Well, so 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 let's play. Or what questions would you devil. ask me? Yeah, let's play devil's advocate a little bit. Okay, now I'm I don't mean to put you on the spot with your kids, but let me let me do that just because I know them fairly well. And so you described Everett and his passion for hunting and his carefulness around hunting. You've been coaching him, and I've watched you do this. You are very careful. You're, you do exactly what my dad did with me and with you. 
So, and, and, Pat, and Everett also has this really intense uh, focus on hunting. So he listens to everything you say and he applies it uniquely. I mean, he's, he's taking it almost as if he's writing everything down and reviewing it every time he does, um, you know, something related to that. And again, I'm not suggesting that Colton's going to like this. He, he very well can be. He's two years younger. Who knows? But let's say he wasn't. Let's say he was a little less uh, careful, a little bit more uh, uncautious or a little bit more uh, sp- uh, spontaneous, right? You know, you need as a parent to be able to read the differences in your kids and how they approach it and then modify your style from a coaching perspective, uh, from a hunting and, and fishing perspective accordingly. And you may decide, I think it's appropriate. What I'm really saying is I'm asking your question by saying this is what I would do. If, if Colton, just from a maturity perspective, is not ready, or if he's a little bit too, you know, quick to uh, take a shot, for example, then, you know, you have to be careful on, you know, how the kids compare themselves and that sort of thing. But that's a scenario where I would, I would pull back. I would say, uh, I try to do it in a way that he doesn't take it personally, but I try to position it from the perspective of maybe it's a 10 for him, not eight. But uh, so I don't know if that answers your question yet, but that's a little closer to what I think you're looking for. Yeah. And I think that the, the overall point is it comes down to knowing your child yes. and reading their maturity, understanding what they are ready for and what they aren't and, and taking yes. that really seriously. Because I do think that there is a <clears throat> there is a big upside, right, to be able to getting your kid out there and giving them these opportunities. But then there's also yeah. this big significant risk. If you have, if you take a a child out that's relatively young and they have a really negative experience, yes, you know, there's, there's a real risk of like they make a bad shot or they make some kind of mistake that ruins it all. So that's something you want to guard against too. Um, so, so yeah, I'm definitely thinking about that. And so that brings me to another one of these things that I thought a lot about, which is what about, you know, kind of continuing in the same vein, what about, you know, how you exposed me or taught me um, about seeing a dead animal, gutting mm-hmm. a deer, seeing the, yeah. the blood and gore? I mean, I remember being around, you know, seeing, I mean, we've told the stories before. Folks have seen it maybe in some of the shows. Like, as a kid, I loved standing next to the buck pole, staring at the dead deer, examining their corpses, looking up into their insides. Yeah. I mean, I was fascinated by all yeah. that. But what yeah. were you thinking as a as a dad? Were you worried at all about me? You know, I don't know about being exposed to that too early, or is it can it not be early enough? Because the earlier you are exposed to it, the less it seems like a weird thing to be scared of or worried about. Um, you know, I have I have thoughts and I've had an approach, but I'm curious what yours was. Yeah, I, it, my attitude towards that is it can't be early enough. Not yet. I think it needs to be couched from the perspective of this is part of life. Um, this is part of the respect we have for the animal and for this gift that we have, right, of, of nature and of uh, um, deer and fish and whatever wild game we're talking about. But, yeah, I don't – that's a that's a case where – and, again, I think you do need to read the child. Again, this is a really important um, component of everything we're talking about. So there's not one size fits all. So it may be perfectly fine for Everett. It may not be perfectly fine for Colt, and that's okay. Um, so I think you need to take that into account and and allow the kids to kind of uh, uh, help guide that perspective. Now, sometimes 
uh, it may be that there's maybe a, a fear of something that might be stronger than it should be. You might want to push back on that a little bit or help mitigate that. But in general, I think you need to read the audience and act accordingly. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth speaking of differences with children you have me who became a hunting and fishing fool right i mean i'm Mm -hmm. obsessed with it Mm -hmm. it has become the the sun that my world revolves around uh Mm -hmm. it it has become my passion my career Mm -hmm. uh all of these things that's the, yeah. my, my life revolves around the outdoors and the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have my sister, Kristen, mm-hmm. who does not hunt. She, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say she really fishes. She's fished a handful of times, but she doesn't fish independently. Um, mm-hmm. She likes nature. She gets out here and there for some camping and hiking, but 
it, it's in no way what my relationship with the outdoor world is. Yes. Yes. When you look back on your um, parenting between mm-hmm. me and Kristen, is there anything you can point to? I guess my question for is why is that? Do you think that was just, yeah. is that just because of who she is? Or do you think that, and I, this might be a hard thing to talk about. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But did you parent her in any kind of different way? If you were being honest with yourself that maybe led to yeah. her having a different experience than I did? So it's an, that's a really, really, really good question. Um, and I thought a lot about that because I, so I guess the first honest answer is I really don't know, but there are some things that I guess I think back on and, and think that, Maybe there were. So Christian, Kristen had a different bent. Her passion, her explicit passion, the thing she talked about, the thing she really seemed to gravitate to was something very different. It was horseback riding and anything related to horses. So we fed that habit, right? We never never really tried to, to push her in a different direction or guide her direction. We, we saw that, that strong interest, and we thought of that as, her passion and we encouraged it. And as I say, we fed the habit. So that meant finding a, a person who had horses, who was learning how to ride. It was doing, you know, competitive racing like she did for 10 years was all those kinds of things. Now, having said that, I, I think, and mom and I were very involved in that, right? We we're as involved in that as we were with you in hunting and fishing. But, you know, looking back in retrospect and Chris has made some, you know, a few comments along the way that lead me to believe that she kind of felt, felt left out that I favored you for going up to the cabin or going hunting or going fishing or whatever, when maybe there was more of an interest in her doing it than we realized. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the honest answer. Um, I don't really know. And she would, I think she would tease, you know, she would joke about it, but I'm not sure how serious she is that uh, she, you know, that I would always take you up but not take her. But I do kind of look back and then say, wow, did I miss an opportunity? Should I have spent more time with her? It wasn't a conscious thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And, unfortunately, I don't have a really good answer for you other than that. Yeah. So looking back, what would you say? Yeah, well, actually, before we go here, you mentioned the feed the habit thing. Right. You said mm-hmm. you said you did that with me and with her was it with the horseback riding. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Because I do feel like that has been one of the one of the great lessons I've learned from you was this mm-hmm. idea of feeding the habit. Um, can you just expand a little bit on what that looked like more? I mean, you earlier you talked about that was like buying the gear, um, mm-hmm. but it was more than that. Mm-hmm. Can you can you just elaborate on that a little bit more and, and how that helped? Yeah. So I I think it's a combination of three or four things. One is um, uh, talking about it, having conversations around it, uh, uh, understanding what your interests were around that topic, yours being primarily hunting and fishing and Kristen's being horseback riding, and then learning about it, being an active um, engager with your child and, and, and so that they know that you care about what they care about. And again, this is relationship building, right? This is the this is more than just getting out in the woods. This is about life lessons. So I think that's part of it. Um, yes, I, what I saw, and partially with my dad, but that was kind of the age, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But I see this with other people as well, where they they kind of, uh, you know, when it gets down to them bringing their kids into their sport, they're more interested in making sure they have the best equipment, the best stuff, whatever it is. 
and then they either get hand-me-downs to or they uh, they buy the the you know Walmart stuff for their kids. And in some respects, that doesn't matter, right? And kids may be too young or may not necessarily care what kind of rifle they're carrying or whatever. But in many cases, it, it sends a message, right? It sends a subtle thing that um, that maybe it's not as important or you're not as important or whatever. And I'm not talking, again, about buying the best stuff. I'm talking about having them actively participate in that. And then I think the, the third thing that I think we did um, with you is we we uh, you know we we got involved in kind of the community around deer hunting. So we read a lot of magazines. We you and I I don't remember how many times you and I went to beast feasts and that sort of thing with other hunters, right? We got um, uh, involved with the community around um, you know our our cabin and the people in the cabin around the cabin that we we talked to around the hunting that was going on. So it's just, just the whole atmosphere, the environment, and I think that's really important. Um, so, you know, I'd say that that's kind of the, the overall perspective that I would take around that perspective of uh, feeding the habit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, that if I were to look back on things and say, what led me to be who I am, a lot of it was, was that it was, it was putting rocket fuel behind anything I indicated I was interested in. So it was, yes. When I show that love for hunting and fishing, you were fanning the yep. flames. I didn't have to fight for time to go hunting or fishing. I didn't have to fight for the fishing rod. You know, mm-hmm. you saw something that you viewed as positive for me, and then you you fanned those flames. You helped make that happen. Mm-hmm. You, you were in no way slowing that down. You were helping that. You were giving me the push there and supporting that with gear, with your time. And, and to your point, the community thing was no small thing. Um, I think – just the idea of like being able to be a part of the group, like being with the men up at deer mm-hmm. camp, that was pretty transformational for me too. Just getting to like be in the room, hear the stories, be a part of that. Um, that was so, I mean, I don't know, maybe you remember from when you were a kid hanging out with your dad and Jerry and oh, those I guys, like I do. you I do. felt like you were, bigger than you were and you were part of this very exciting manly adult uh thing that was like a a dream and uh you got to be part of it and that was pretty special um so i can i can point to a lot of things like that that i look back on that that were great that worked that got me to where i am what about what didn't work do you remember anything is there anything when you look back on raising me that you realize like, man, this is not working well, or I really screwed that up, or I made a big mistake there. So, so, you know, yes, but it's probably not in a way that you would expect. And I kind of alluded to this before, you know, it's not uh, that I screwed up or we screwed up in, in helping you discover your sport or your passion for your sport. It's more that, that moment of recognition where I realized that, that the, the the mantle had kind of been transferred from me to you. And that's, that is, you know, I think we all, again, especially men, maybe not exclusively men, we all have a, we all have a need to feel like we're good at something. We're successful at something. We can, we can beat our competitors, you know, this just overall sense. And you, I, I think whether we acknowledge it or not, we all want to feel that, way with our kids as well until they're adults, right? I think we all consciously think, well, when they're adults, they're, you know, they're, 
have their own careers. They have, but when your 12 year old son can outbeat you, <laughs> outfish you in a tournament, <laughs> that's a little hum uh, humbling. And I think that's okay. I, I think that's what I learned is, is I started shifting my perspective from personal success to celebrating your success and not and not seeing that as a personal front or somehow as an, a you know a a, a a weakness it was a strength it's it's great to see your kids and then and then actually step back to a different role so i would say certainly the last 20 years since you've been in this role and your passion has grown and your knowledge has grown um the roles have changed so now i'm the mentee and you're the mentor and that's fine was that was that hard when that first began, did you resist that? Did you, was there, did we ever butt heads or did you ever want to put me in my place? Tell me to shut up and listen. <laughs> I mean, what was that experience like? Well, I, I think we did butt heads a little bit, right? And those, I think, and, uh, and you probably can recall a few of these instances as well, where I would say something, you say, well, dad, that's not quite right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, uh, again, going back to relationships, our relationship is such that, um, that was fine, but but there is a little bit of personal pride and, and perspective. That relationship changes, um, just like you know, kind of uh, similar to the the process of aging. You know, you as you get older, your your role changes a little bit, and and I think that I think you need to do that gracefully. Is really what I'm what I'm trying to say. Recognize and and celebrate and encourage the success of your kids. Um, in your case, I mean, you way far surpassed in most av every aspect of hunting, anything I ever did. And I think that's phenomenal. Now, and, and fishing too, fishing phenomenal. too. Don't forget that. Well, and fishing too. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, just, it's not just accepting that. It's also recognizing that, that I can, it's okay. And I want to learn and grow through you. So that's okay. And that's tremendous. And because we have that relationship, we have fun doing it. So we can joke about it. You know, uh, that's uh, I think that's really important. But I think that that is a risk, I think, and maybe could be threatening um, some dads and some moms who are teaching their kids how to hunt or fish. When they go through that transition, that can be a little bit threatening at times. Yeah. So we were talking about this the other day. You and I were up at the up at deer camp. We were driving home. We were in the drive-through at McDonald's, and I brought up a statistic I recently heard, which was something along the lines of, on average, you will the average American will have experienced eighty percent of their time with their child by the time mm. their child turns eighteen. So eighty yeah. percent of the time you will get with your kids over your entire life happens. Eighty percent happens before they turn eighteen and are yeah. out the door. That was yep. a very like eye-opening thing for me. So what I'm getting at here is that those years where your child is living at home and you have this close, intimate opportunity to experience these hunting and fishing memories and, and um, adventures and outings, mm -hmm. um, that's like a fleeting thing. It's, it's this, I've been having this yep. realization myself as, as it's gone so fast. 
Like it seems like yesterday mm-hmm. I didn't have kids and now I have a, a five-year-old going on six who's who can do almost everything and who's who I'm realizing is so quickly going to be like like you're talking about. He's going to be surpassing me and he's going to be out there doing his own things. And I guess I'm just realizing like this thing is flying in front yeah. of my eyes and it's it's something I feel like I'm still trying to figure out how to do it. And before I even figure out how to do it, it's going to be done. So when you look back, you look back on those years with me and Kristen, you look at those 18 years when we were there at home with you and I was going to Ken Robin with you as a kid and we were sitting in the blind together or we were in the boat up in Canada catching walleye or we were walking through the swamp. Two things I, I would ask. Number one, what do you cherish the most from those years? What stands out above everything else? as as the great takeaway from those years mm-hmm. and then secondly do you have any regrets do you regret anything that either happened or did not happen <clears throat> over those years mm-hmm. hmm. good questions so what do i cherish the most is the one-on-one time it is it is the so our sport whether it was hunting or fishing became the it was the rallying point it was the thing that we were doing together it was the context but that was providing the context for some of the best conversations some of the most intimate moments some of the most vulnerable moments that i've ever had with you and same thing's true with Kristen. now with Kristen it was a little bit different because it was usually mom and i and we were usually doing group things not so much one-on-one and I'd say that's my regret. My regret with Kristen is I wish I had found a one-on-one activity where I could have spent more one-on-one time with her. It's really, you know, I, I, the old adage of, you know, quality time and that sort of thing. In my opinion, that's bunk. There is no such thing as quality time. Um, there's just time. And focus and personal um, one-on-one time with your, your child in whatever context, hopefully a positive um, uh encouraging and fun environment. Those are the opportunities. That's the the opportunity for those relationships to grow. Um, What I love so much about hunting and fishing is that it's not just an opportunity for the two of you to get together for a moment. It's usually at least hours long, if not days long. So you just have this wonderful context to be close, to be vulnerable, to talk about things you normally don't. And, you know, you and I always joke about that, right, Mark? We have some of our best conversations in the car going up to the cabin or coming back to the cabin. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the opportunity. And so, um, you know, my own regret is kind of going back to what you said a few minutes ago. That time, that first 18 years goes by so fast. And one of the one of the challenges I think we've had, and I think most parents who have good relationships with their kids have, is you just wish you had more. You just wish you, you know, during the period of time when your kids are young, um, you're so focused on your career, you're so focused on things that in the big scheme of things, frankly, just don't matter much, (laughs) that by the time you realize that kids are grown and they're off doing their thing. And um, now you try to make up for it by doing that with your your grandkids. Right. So, you know, the younger you can realize that. Um, the sooner you, you develop those kinds of habits with your family, I think, um, the happier you'll be, the happier they'll be. And the longer those relationships and deeper those relationships will be. Mm. Yeah. If, 
if you, for whatever reason, were told that today is the last day ever mm. that you mm. can give your son a piece of advice when it comes to this <laughs> hunting and fishing, ra- raising children to become hunters and anglers, to appreciate the outdoors, to, when it comes to all of this. If today, right now, was your last opportunity to leave me with two thoughts, you've got two final thoughts of, of everything we've talked about here, or maybe something we haven't yep. talked about. Um, yep. If you had to synthesize it down, if you had to distill everything we've covered down to the two simple things that I absolutely must take away from this conversation and carry with me for the rest of my life, and you will not have another opportunity ever <laughs> to tell me these things, what would those two things be, Dad? Find, okay, two things. First, find a way to build strong, deep relationships with your kids. And again, there is no such thing as quality time. Quality time is, well, gee, if I spend an hour with them a week doing something, that's that's enough. It's not. Find a way to make time one-on-one with your kids. And two, um, find a way to help them feel important. And when I mean, what I mean by that is not um, uh, haughty, but that they're loved unconditionally and that there's nothing in this world that can make you love them any less. And I think that's part of what being a good parent is. It's building that sense of self-worth in your child, that sense of confidence, that sense of of, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I know who I am. I know I am loved. I know that nothing, no matter how rough the situations in life are, that uh, I'm going to make it. And I think uh, the time, uh, it sounds cliche, but I truly believe that that time in the woods, the time in the boat, the time in the stream, if you approach it from that perspective, is the way you do that. Or at least one of the ways you do that. Yeah. Well, wise. Wise words, Dad. I uh, am very fortunate to uh, to have had you teaching me those things and uh, and raising me that way. So thank you for that, and thank you for chatting about all this publicly in front of well, not in front of, but uh, verbally in front of a whole lot of folks. Um, I, I appreciate it. I think um, this has been great. Thank you, Mark. And let's uh, let's just say I'll, I'll remove that rule off the table. You are allowed to continue giving me advice into the future. All right, I will <laughs> I will continue to take your wisdom and insights because uh, I still got a lot to learn. So uh, don't feel like you're stuck. Say, funny, funny how that's completely turned around. I'm usually asking you questions and learning from you and getting all that. So you know, remember that whole you know the tables are turned thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think that's you know as you as you develop your relationship with your kids into adulthood. Uh, those relationships become friendships as opposed to mentoring and coaching, right? And I am um, thrilled and blessed to have the relationship with you and Crystal. Yep, it's pretty good stuff. And uh, I guess on that note, let's uh, let's wrap this one up, and hopefully we can come back and do another podcast a few years down the road from now, and we can be talking about how Everett got his first deer or his first turkey or the the great memories we've been able to build up at Kenrovin and some some success that we've had up there. Hopefully, uh, I, I I trust we're gonna have some good stories in the next five to ten years to share. Sounds great, Mark. Thank you. All right. 
there you have it. Thank you for tuning in. I hope there was something interesting in here. Hope you were able to garner a few insights, something that will help inspire you in your own journey, either as a parent now or down the road, if that's in the cards for you. Um, Like I said at the top, this is the pinnacle of hunting and fishing, in my opinion, right? I don't care about the big bucks. I don't care about the trophy trout. Bringing our kids into this world, into this tradition, into this pursuit and lifestyle, man, there's no bigger win than that. There's no more meaningful trophy experience and achievement and way of life than sharing these outdoor pursuits with our kids. So let's give it the same attention, passion, and obsession that we do for our deer hunting, our fishing, whatever it is. So thank you. Thanks for taking time to dive into this with me. Thanks for being here. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.